We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Yesterday, Cliff Sora shared a top 10 list of hot fusion restaurants, a vegan gluten-free mashup recipe, and a podcast featuring organic food trends. Oh, TMI, I, too much internet information. That's oversharing. Cliff, Geico has something worth sharing with your friends. Like how on Geico.com you could save hundreds on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim. Gluten-free info that's easy to swallow. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code Rotowire 
when you deposit on DraftKings, it'll get you a free contest entry today. All right, it is Monday, December 28th, week 16 in the NFL, just about wrapped up. Uh, we got Broncos and Bengals as the Monday night game, finishing out the, the penultimate week of the 2015 NFL season. Nick Whalen here, and I'm not joined by Derek Van Riper, uh, as I typically am on Monday mornings. DVR, uh, still away, doing some family stuff for the holidays. So in steps Jake Latarski. Jake, good to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me, of course. I'm happy to be here, uh, I, you know, weather in madison wisconsin here is uh pretty brutal we're the only two on the floor here so we're in command and uh had to go dark in the office a little bit because uh the snow advisory but happy to be talking football recapping a couple of championships i think we each had a couple of championships to recap so we can either do a little bragging or, or vent our sorrows here with the uh with the upcoming slate of games and a lot of action in between a lot to get to and, and a lot to even look ahead to next year yeah, absolutely. Like you said, Winter Storm, I think it's Goliath. I don't know where they come up with the names for these things, but Winter Storm Goliath has made its way north uh, after kind of dumping on, on the Dallas and basically the entire south, I guess, over the weekend, uh, we're getting quite a bit of snow. So yeah, I think we're probably going to get this podcast recorded and probably head home before it gets a little too treacherous out there. But yeah, like you said, I mean, a lot to talk about championship weekend for a lot of leagues. Some leagues still stretching into Week 17. You know, obviously things can get a little bit sketchy there as far as players resting. But the way it works out this year, you know, I, I think most teams will probably be playing the the majority at least uh, of their starters, so shouldn't be too many issues there. But yeah, I mean, what, what is that stake for you, or what was that stake for you this weekend? Well, I was still alive in three different leagues here overall. Um, one of them was a semifinal game because it's one of those weird leagues that plays Week 17. Uh, the other two were championship games, so. It's honestly not looking great for me. I might have uh, struck out because I had a lot of Cam Newton bringing me there who had a pretty off game, a lot of Antonio Brown bringing me there. He obviously had quite the off game. I think one league is the semifinal league. I'm completely toast. I'm down by 60 points, and I'm I'm out of people. So that's out of of the question there. That one I was kind of lucky to be there in the first place. Another league, I think I need the Bengals' defense to outscore A.J. Green by about 25. So uh, I, I think that's going to happen. Yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe Brock Osweiler <laughs> get in pick-six mode here, uh, you know, secretly hoping that Manning would start, but, of course, probably not going to mm-hmm. see that. Um, and then in the other league, I need – it's a half-point PPR, and I need Demarius Thomas to be held under 10 points. So it's unlikely, but at least it's possible, and that's uh, that's the Rotowire staff the 16-team office league, and I think we got maybe a restaurant gift card or something at stake there. So my best chance of winning is my lowest stakes league. Sounds about right for the year. Yeah, I uh, didn't make the final in one of my friends' leagues, unfortunately. My my late push uh, late in the year was was not enough to overcome. Uh, I think it was like a 1-5 in five start. Basically, I was like the Kansas City Chiefs of this league um, without the playoff uh, clinching. But it did, did take home the title last night, uh, my first title in a few years in one of my other leagues. I, I was up like, I think, 60-plus points going into the late slate of games. So that was what the Seattle game, the Green Bay game, and the Jacksonville game, and going up against Tim Hightower and Brandon Cook. So it went from, yeah, I, was almost, I was just about to send the you know, obligatory, jokingly bragging text to, to my friends about it, and like it got to the point where I think I only won by less than five points. Yeah. Uh, my opponent also had Ruben Randall going too, so he mm-hmm. caught that long, yeah, that, like that fluky bomb touchdown. Yep. And like, and you know, it gets to the point like watching that last drive mm-hmm. uh, when Ryan Nassib came into the game for the Giants. Like, who, who caught the touchdown? I think it was Miles um, White. Miles maybe? White, yeah, yeah, late in the game. So like Nassib, you know, that was like a thirty-plus yard touchdown if I remember correctly over Former the middle. Former Green and, like, Bay practice squad, great. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> Miles White, and 
Yeah, somebody who like I mean that would have had that been Ruben Randall that would have won you know won the game or won the matchup for, for the, my opponents. Yeah. So like and it's tough you know watching you don't know where that ball's going. So there's like that one and a half seconds where it's in the air. Like exactly. I'm just praying that it's yeah. not Ruben Randall on the receiving end, and thankfully see, it wasn't. I, see on the other end there had that been Ruben Randall, I might have almost doubled my take in daily because I had oh, really? I had a lot of. Uh, a lot of Bortles and Hearns and Robinson go in with a little bit of D'Angelo Williams. In the few lineups where I had those combinations, I had Ruben Randall almost across the board. So the 80-yard touchdown saved me, gave him like a, I don't know, maybe 15, I think it was like 20-point day on DraftKings or something like that. But it could have been a lot bigger uh, had that game not gotten so out of hand. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Bortles and you know riding the Jags was a was a smart move this week. I mean, they they went down twenty four nothing early in that yep. game, but they knew they were going to have to go exactly. Yeah, and then they certainly did that. Um, we'll get into that game later. We'll start. We usually like to start with some of the early games and kind of work in order. So we'll start with Thursday night, um, which seems like forever ago now with, with all yeah. the stuff happening with all holiday. Kind of for, Eve, yeah. I kind of forgot that this game even happened. But Raiders twenty three. Uh, the San Diego Chargers 20 this one went to overtime the Raiders able to get a field goal on their first drive and then stop the Chargers uh, what was a pretty uneventful series for them you just never really felt like they were going to get anything going possibly the last game in Oakland for the Raiders we saw the a similar situation for the Chargers a couple weeks ago uh, no, no one laid on the field after the game no, no one went full Eric Weddle on this one but Charles Woodson his final home game yeah. uh, gave a nice address to the crowd that, that was pretty cool to see um Derek Carr, 23 of 38, 204 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Threw a pick on his first drive. So similar to what we saw you know, against Green Bay when he, he put the Raiders in an early hole in that one. And mm-hmm. pretty much from then on, you know, going looking at that game two weeks ago, it was a pretty even battle, but you know, unable to kind of overcome that 14-point deficit. I guess looking at Carr's season overall, one more week to go, has he made the, the progression that you expected him to? I, I think around like week 9, week 10, People were really, really high on him, and, and that kind of cooled off a little bit as the Raiders tanked you know, through the, the middle to end of the season. Yeah, I mean, Derek Carr is somebody that I, I think has made a respectable progression. He's He's got the weapons around him at the very least to uh, to work with. Amari Cooper is going to kind of creep up into the top 10 best receivers in the league, possibly. And uh, Crabtree's kind of revitalized his career over there. And, uh, of course, Latavius Murray around to get uh, some of those passes out of the backfield, uh, maybe a little check down for Carr, which always helps a young quarterback. But I'm actually very optimistic about the future of Carr. I'm in a keeper league where you only uh, you get two keepers, and I, I paid up way too much at auction for guys like Odell Beckham, you know, 52 out of a $200 budget. Jordan Matthews and Mike Evans, I think we're in the high 30s, low low 40s. So instead, you know, I get to keep two players at the price I bought them or at the waiver wire price. And I will be keeping Derek Carr as a $1 waiver because I'm going to keep Derek Carr and David Johnson for a buck a piece and then go into auction with $198 to spend next year. I think, uh, you know, it's not like I'm keeping studs, but I'm being economical and then I'm kind of taking whatever value I can get. And I can very much rebuy players like Beckham at a price the same, if not cheaper, than last year. So I think Derek Carr is an excellent keeper candidate. On the other side of the ball, you know, I don't mean to completely discuss this towards keeper, but uh, we're we're to week 17 now, so that's kind of where we're shifting. On the other side of the ball, Melvin Gordon, who many thought was going to be a big keeper candidate, I'd be a little bit hesitant uh, to keep him. Uh, if it's a dynasty league where you get to keep five to ten type of players, then, of course, you got to keep him. Uh, but his draft day price very much exceeded his value this year and his projected value next year. So I'm not sure Melvin Gordon's lock in a keeper league. Uh, it has to be a deep dynasty where you actually were able to afford him. 
Yeah, I mean, this is really not a you know necessarily an exciting game to really discuss, and you know it's been a few days, so not really fresh in in most of our minds. But yeah, we can talk a little bit about Melvin Gordon overall. I mean, obviously for us being in Madison, this was kind of a guy we were certainly keeping our eye on this season, and couldn't have been a whole lot more disappointing. But I mean, are you? I thought there were a couple of articles in these last few weeks. You know, he statistically one of the worst rookie seasons of all time, and blah blah blah. And you know, there's no avoiding that. The numbers certainly aren't great. Uh, but where do you stand, I guess, on Melvin Gordon uh, through one year? I mean, I'd have a tough time putting him in the top 15 fantasy backs for next year. I think just based on potential alone, there's a decent amount of I, you can maybe consider top 20, but running backs are such a crapshoot, and he's no guarantee. He did not find the end zone at all this year, only averaged 3.5 yards per carry. Uh, did post six runs of 20 yards or more, so at least that's a bit encouraging. But the real the real concerning thing is the fumbles. He fumbled six times, lost four of them, and if he can't correct those types of issues that you know, maybe started to surface a little bit during his final years with the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, if he can't correct those issues, it's going to be tough to find him a consistent role in the NFL. I mean, even when he was healthy, the, the Chargers were using Danny Woodhead on a significant amount of snaps here. So, uh, you know, it's not looking great, but I think he still has the explosiveness and the vision and and just the uh, overall upside. You hear us talk about that a lot in fantasy, but I still think he has it. And with aging backs, Danny Woodhead, Donald Brown on the roster, I think there'll be another fresh start for Melvin Gordon next year. And it could very well be a breakout year, or it could be one of those years where it's time to pass on him in fantasy moving on. I think next year will probably be the deciding year. Uh, at that point, he'll be 23, just ready to enter his prime and show us what he's got, if anything. Yeah, and I, I don't think the the Chargers are going to be giving up on him by any means. You know, I mean the investment not. that you, yeah, that you have in pick, a first so. round back, especially you know in twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen, uh, you know what that means. Uh, I guess you know you're almost under some sort of. It's kind of like drafting a quarterback that high too. You know, at some point you have to at least uh, you know let it play out. And certainly after one year, that that's far too short of a span to make any judgment uh we'll move on from that game then move to the saturday night game this is one i didn't i really didn't get to see too much of doing family stuff you know probably a lot of people on that boat but redskins 38 eagles 24 uh you have here jordan matthews was a garbage time hero is that for you specifically uh that was for me specifically for the last several weeks too i mean he caught a meaningless 80 yard touchdown last week and uh you know, another six catches for 104 yards and a touchdown. His touchdown really happened when that game was out of reach. So, I mean, the situation alone, you know, Jordan Matthews hasn't necessarily done a lot in crunch time. I think he's improved over the course of the season, definitely cut down on the drops. Uh, but, you know, the statistics alone uh, make him a viable fantasy option, probably a much better fantasy than than type of, than real-life type of players so far through the year. But it's going to be intriguing where he goes next year because – I think it's going to depend a lot on the quarterback game and if they decide to sign Bradford to a long-term deal or decide to go elsewhere. And, and so it's really too early to judge on an outlook for next year until we have an offseason under our belts. I think you can say that about most of the Eagles. You know, you could even both of those quarterbacks. I mean, Sanchez, we're not really sure what his future holds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Bradford, obviously, in the same boat. And, you know, especially a receiver's value is, is so clearly tied to, to the quarterback position. But DeMarco Murray, he's up in the air. I mean, they have that stable of running backs that they've kind of rotated in and out throughout this season. And no one's really separated themselves as, as somebody that you can say, you know, we, we need to hold on to this guy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this roster could look very, very different, you know, come the start of the, uh, of the 2016 season. 
Uh, but in this one, Kirk Cousins, four touchdowns. Jordan Reed, two first-quarter touchdowns. He finished with nine catches, 129 yards, uh, and two touchdowns. I mean, where, where does he rank for you uh, in terms of just breakout players, not only at the tight end position, but really on any position on offense? Yeah, I mean, you, you go through Facebook on Sunday night, you see a lot of friends posting their uh, their championship victories, like to, like to brag a little bit, and... Jordan Reed was one of the things that uh, a lot of those winning teams had in common this week, and rightfully so. I still, I think he is behind Gronk, looking ahead to next year. Maybe behind Greg Olson. It's 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 tough to call. There's always a little bit of an injury risk with Reed, and he was able to put together what was essentially uh, close to a full season this year, and that's why uh, you know you can help explain the numbers that happened here. But, you know, uh, yeah, J- Jordan Reed definitely goes in that top five, potentially sneaks into the top three. Uh, he's got one more week to surpass 1,000 yards receiving. He's caught a career highs all across the board, 83 receptions, 907 yards, and 11 touchdowns. He's essentially nearly doubled uh, his projections for the year. And and he's the man, especially with Kirk Cousins uh, under center there. Uh, he, he's going to continue to uh, to produce as one, as one of the top targets there, especially with a, an aging Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garçon, uh, you know, if they don't have the speed that they once did to get open. But uh, those numbers for Jordan Reed, and that's with missing two games, missing week five against Atlanta and week six against the Jets. And you got to keep him as a top five tight end. The only thing with him is uh, is going to be the injury risk. He only played nine games in 2013, 11 in 2014. So that's the only hesitation. But uh, as of now, he checks in as a top five tight end. All right, let's get into the games from Sunday. We'll start with some of the early slate. Patriots 20, Jets 26. Um, you know, obviously the big takeaway from this one is the the debacle with the coin toss going into overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen so many breakdowns of, you know, how the ref should have, you know, phrased how he asked the question to the captain. I think it was Ryan Slater uh, who he was talking to for New England. I mean, do you buy Bill Belichick saying that they did actually want to kick the ball there? I I can't imagine any reason why someone would do that. I don't. I, I can never tell with Belichick. Like, is he the? Do you think he was just doing that to get the pressure off of Slater? I mean, I, th- I feel like he seems like the type of coach who would say, you know, we didn't want to do that. Yeah. You, but at the same time, I, if there's any coach I who mean, would have the confidence to kick it, ex- yeah, it would be Belichick. Yeah, as noted earlier with that with that game against Philadelphia with that squib right. kick or, or something, you know, kind of getting ar- arrogant and pulling that off. Uh, but at the same time, when has Bill Belichick ever been completely forthcoming? Who really That's knows? True. Yeah, I don't. Really I don't. You were like his comments, which basically all he said in the situation was, you know, we thought that was the right decision or something. You know, like that. That's literally all you're going to get from him, and who knows what you can take from it. But yeah, it's interesting. You know, two kind of two special teams decisions, or you know, if you want to call a coin toss, special teams, uh, really kind of leading to to two losses for this New England team, two of their three losses this season. But I don't think it's actually that crazy to kick it. You know, it seems obviously you want the ball. You know, you, you have a chance to to score a touchdown and end the game. But I guess the the advantage of getting it second is you don't have to score a touchdown to win. Yep, you know, you, you can, can get, get a field, field goal. goal. So exactly, it's not like it's completely insane. But at the same time, you know, you're on the road and mm-hmm. you have a chance to get the ball. And you know, even if you get a field goal, you, you still have your chance to stop yep. the Jets' offense, which hasn't exactly been prolific. I mean, it's been very good under under Ryan Fitzpatrick, but it's also an offense that if you're in New England, I think you, you like your chances to stop. And you know, obviously they weren't able to do that. And I think it ended a little bit more quickly than, than everyone expected. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I mean, you have to have a ton of faith in your defense to be able to pull off a move like that. And Patriots' defense, respectable, but nothing 
completely outstanding. I mean, it's not like they're the Denver defense or the or the Seahawks defense even. And yeah, I mean, this Jets offense played incredibly well at home. Brandon Marshall, you know, I want to say turning back the clock, but really he's just picking up where he left off at 31. He's the perennial high target guy. You know, he's caught, he missed three games last year, so he didn't quite get to 100 receptions, but 100 or more catches in three of the last four years. And, uh, you know, under this system and the way Ryan Fitzpatrick's been playing, this Marshall-Decker combination is really is really worked out well for him and you know who knows what can happen in the playoffs here if the if the Jets can uh stay on course and 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 lock that spot up yeah yeah absolutely I think Brandon Marshall well deserving uh of the Pro Bowl nod that that he got and I mean as an Allen Robinson supporter myself I was very disappointed you know that he wasn't that he wasn't named there but you look at the receivers that were named there are eight receivers uh on this initial voting ballot Odell Beckham Antonio Brown Larry Fitzgerald AJ Green DeAndre Hopkins Calvin Johnson, I think, is somehow the most questionable of all of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Julio Jones and Brandon Marshall. I mean, it, it's tough to argue with any of these guys. And, you know, we, we're in a golden age of point guards, I think, in the NBA. And I think we, we might be in somewhat of a golden age of receivers in the NFL. And part of that is due to, you know, shifting offenses where, where passing is a little bit more em- emphasized. But, I mean, it just seems like there are, you know, 10 to 15, like, really, really talented receivers out there right mm-hmm. now. And some teams like Pittsburgh and, and the Jets, like we just talked about, I mean, have two of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. We've been a big proponent, uh, at least I know Clay and I have in some of our shows, of the wide receiver, wide receiver draft strategy. And with everything that happened with running backs this year, that almost seems like the way to go. You're going to find people that, that will still take running backs in the first round because that's how they've done it for the last five years. They maybe even won a league like that. But the depth at wide receiver, if you can get two of these top 15 guys, you are locked in for nearly 40 or more points a week if it's a PPR and that's a lot more consistent than running back so you can you spend fab money on or pick up backups and I mean there are plenty of running backs to help you down the stretch this year whether it's D'Angelo Williams Tim Hightower late David Johnson was available in a lot of formats if you wanted to gamble with Patriots running backs James White's been respectable down the stretch so if anything this golden age of receivers only uh, serves as a proponent for the wide receiver wide receiver strategy. Yeah, that's that's extremely true. And I mean, what running back would you have drafted in the first round this year that like didn't kind of tank your team at one point or another? You know, other than Adrian Peterson, I mean, yeah. Doug Martin wasn't really going mm-hmm. in round one by any means. Like, if you took Eddie Lacy in the top three, you, yep. know, you were in trouble pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. you know, you could say the same thing about Le'Veon Bell once he went down. And I mean, and, Jeremy Hill, yeah, C.J. Anderson picked it up a little bit down the stretch, but how many Jeremy Hill, C.J. Anderson owners? did you see in the playoffs this year how many Eddie Lacy owners did you see in the playoffs this year not many Jamal Charles was on track to carry a bunch of people to the playoffs but of course injury derailed that whole thing Arian Foster it's it's not ineffectiveness you know it's just the injuries and then Mm -hmm. you're at the running back position where you're getting hit so much more often and I mean even Mm -hmm. look at the at Seattle I mean they they had two running backs who at one point in the year were probably top five options and both of them now lost yeah receivers on a hold just taking less hits there's penalties for hit on a defenseless receiver definitely not a penalty for hit on a defenseless running back because you are out there to dry every play yep absolutely browns 13 chiefs 17 kansas city just continues its just unabated slaughter of of the second half here and Mm -hmm. yeah this wasn't the most convincing win by any means i mean cleveland had a shot at the end of this one to to kind of pull it out and they ended up running out of time manzel slamming his helmet uh, to the turf yeah. and frustration but I mean the real story here is Kansas City seven eight straight wins excuse me is this no nine straight wins I just keep <laughs> I keep scrolling up and seeing more wins so, I mean this is a team that beat Houston in week one 
Uh, and then I think it was that Thursday night game where they went, they were home to Denver. Jamal Charles fumbles uh, very late in regulation, leads to an overtime loss. And at that point, it looked like things might spiral out of control. I mean, they, they lose, they allow 38 points to Green Bay that next week. They get blown out by the Bengals the week after that. A loss to a Bears team that at the time looked terrible uh, back in week five, and then another loss to Minnesota after that. But after that loss to Minnesota, it's been win over the Steelers, win over the Lions, Broncos, Chargers, Bills, Raiders, Chargers, Ravens, Browns. So, it's I mean, an impressive resume. It's an impressive resume. There are a couple teams in there. I mean, you get two wins over the Chargers. The Ravens haven't been great. The Lions, back when they won that game, you know, the Lions, I think, were a one or two win team at mm-hmm. the time. So, you know, maybe not the, the greatest strength of schedule, but either way, I mean, nine wins in a row in the NFL against anybody is impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the question, as it, as it has been quite frequently in the past years, what kind of damage can they do in the playoffs? If the season ended today, the Chiefs would be the five seed facing the four seeded Texans because, uh, you know, the Broncos winning that division. But of course, that could uh, change quite quite readily if the Broncos were to get beat by Cincinnati tonight, which is a distinct possibility here. But I could see him getting past the Texans in the first round, but you know after that I, I just I don't know if they can get past New England in the playoffs or, or even Cincinnati in the playoffs. I think they, they're a step in the right direction, and maybe if they had prolific playmaker and, and game closer, I guess Jamal Charles at, at their disposal, they they could do something like that. And not that not to knock Chuck Hendrick West or Spencer Ware, they helped a lot of fantasy owners down the stretch there but I just I just don't see them getting too far past the divisional round in the playoffs there uh I do like Jeremy Macklin and uh he's been he's been solid he's been consistent for fantasy owners over the last few playoff championship weeks of the season but after that I mean you're looking at guys like Albert Wilson on the depth chart I mean Travis Kelsey has been useful he finally got in the end zone this week but I'm just not quite sure they have enough weapons they have a lot of balance but do you really think Alex Smith is a Super Bowl winning quarterback you know we've seen we've seen Trent Dofer win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, you know we've seen I don't I don't know that Alex Smith is a whole lot uh, less talented than Joe Flacco. I mean there there are arguments out there, but yeah I don't yeah. think this. I mean this is a fun story. I mean this is you know again a team that's won nine in a row. Uh, uh, Andy Reid probably a top two or three candidate for coach of the year, and you know overcoming the losing your best player to injury. But yeah, at the same time, I mean I think New England is the clear obstacle for them. But you know let's say Cincinnati takes care of Houston in round one, or excuse me, uh, Kansas City takes care of Houston in round one, and mm-hmm. and they get Cincinnati. Yep. All of a sudden, you're at Cincinnati with a backup quarterback, and you know I think I think that game is, you know, you probably still maybe favor Cincinnati because of the weapons around A.J. McCarron, but at the same time, you know, looking to a backup quarterback in his first career playoff game, I don't think that's by any means, you know, a lock, yeah. a lock win for Cincinnati. You know, I had a look at the Dalton situation. He's obviously ruled out tonight, but that's as far as they're going to go. It's not like he's on IR or anything yet. So Dalton could very well be back in action by the playoffs. We don't really know. It's a broken thumb. He's missed not making practice, but uh, you know, it's it's a broken thumb. It's not any kind of torn ligaments anywhere or something like that. You feel like give it a few weeks, especially if they get a first-round bye to heal. Maybe not even for the divisional playoffs, but AFC Championship potentially. I think he could be back around. So book's not closed on him yet. Just want to remind that. But, yeah, overall, I mean, yeah, we like to throw out the tw- Trent Dilfer comparison, but, I mean, we're almost reaching on a decade since that happened now, and, uh, and the quarterbacks have been a little bit more respectable since then. Uh, so... Yeah, I don't know. And remember San Francisco? They decided to bench Alex Smith for Colin Kaepernick. 
heading into the playoffs that year or, or late in the season when you know when, uh, when playoffs were, yep. were on the line there so it worked at the time though i mean it yeah. that looked like a extremely you know i mean he torched the packers you're right i mean he marched into that super bowl and until the lights went out i mean san francisco was you know was kind of on pace for that one but yeah i mean it, a weird decision down the road you know it's hard to say they they necessarily made the wrong decision because they i mean they got what two and a half pretty good years out of Kaepernick mm-hmm. uh, until things have well and there was that there was the all Harbaugh Super Bowl in there with Kaepernick too, yep so. exactly yeah so I mean they you know they got to a Super Bowl you know did they get there with Alex Smith who knows did they win it with Alex Smith maybe I don't you know it's hard to it's hard to I don't guess think that, Alex but. Smith would have beaten the Packers in the playoffs because the Packers always struggle against the running yep. quarterback and, yeah and, uh, well exactly. Kaepernick gave him a, it was a nightmare for them in the playoffs right. Alex Smith a pocket passer I think you know. I think the Packers with Jamon mm-hmm. Williams and Sam Shields that year would have been able to lock down the receivers yeah. well enough. But uh, we can play what could have been for, for right. Days and I, you know, the Forty the ers knew they knew that Alex Smith was the safer option. I mean, the mm-hmm. much higher floor, but Kaepernick with the significantly higher ceiling. Kaepernick's the guy mm-hmm. that allows you to have a chance to beat teams like the Packers, but you also have a chance to lose to just about anybody because you know he's he's a little bit more volatile as a passer. Uh, a couple other notes for this one, like we said, Manziel. Didn't play out that well you know, as a passer, 13-32 under duress for a lot of the day, but 108 rush yards mm-hmm. uh, on 11 attempts. Browns, 232 rushing yards as a team. That's the most they've had this season. Only the third time since 2010 that the Browns have broke 200 rushing yards as a team. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I, I mean, the Browns, in terms of rushing touchdowns on the season, rank right near the bottom of the league. Mix that with the second or third worst run defense in the league and you've got a big time recipe for a losing formula Manziel not very accurate in this game this was one of the tougher matchups he's had to play I think obviously the Browns organization head coach Mike Pettin want to see him develop more as a pocket passer there were reports earlier in the week that maybe they found something in his throwing motion that they could fix and all of a sudden that's going to make him a better pocket passer who the heck knows I think he's possibly done enough to to earn at least the the favorite for the starting job heading into next season, but it all depends on the direction that organization is going. I saw reports earlier today, I think they came from Bleacher Report, that said Pettin was going to be retained possibly, that some people are maybe thinking of blaming some of the decisions, personnel decisions at least, on general manager Ray Farmer. This is all very speculative at this point. I, I mean, Johnny Manziel isn't a isn't a quarterback one by any means, maybe a, a quarterback two heading into next year's drafts, but we're going to have to see what kind of changes are made coaching front office-wise and personnel-wise before we do that because who knows, maybe he gets Josh Gordon back next year. He could be a high upside two quarterback two option, of course, Josh Gordon pending reinstatement, which will probably happen after the season. A lot of people forgot about him, but hasn't quite gone down the Justin Blackman route just yet. Oh, at least come the, on. At least, uh, a, uh, at, least Gordon will be, at least Gordon will be. There's a chance. There's The window is open for reinstatement. I can't believe you brought, brought Blackman into this, but fair enough. I mean, he's <laughs> he's kind of the the parallel, I guess, to Josh Gordon. And uh, what did he picked up another DUI, Justin Blackman, that is, last week. So I, any chance that he... Very slim chance that he ever had of returning to the Jags or returning to the NFL. I don't think that's going to happen. And I'm I'm assuming that this latest transgression will finally prompt them to actually cut him. He's been on he's been on some sort of reserve list, taking up a roster spot, but he's only playing again if they bring back the XFL. Oh God, fingers crossed. Um, Colts 18, Dolphins 12. I don't really want to talk about this one at all. This was by far. There are some ugly games this weekend, but this one, not even this one, had to take the cake. I mean. The Charlie Whitehurst, Matt Hasselbeck uh, versus Ryan Tannehill duel that we've all been waiting for. Hasselbeck finished 8 of 15, 99 yards. He was knocked out of this one. 
it, I'm kind of expecting that at this point. I, f- I think he's been knocked out of the last three games now. It's just mm-hmm. he's just out there until he, he suffers an injury bad enough that he has to leave, and I, he pretty much admitted that himself coming into this one. Yep. Charlie Whiter's looked okay though, nine of fourteen, seventy-eight yards, you know, not taking a lot of shots down the field, uh, but did do enough to to hold on. And the Dolphins had a first late in this game, like under a minute less, had a first and goal uh, from I think the four or five yard line, and failed to convert on four straight downs. Uh, that that ended up leading to the loss. But Jarvis Landry, seven catches for 111 yards. Devontae Parker had 93 yards on four catches. So those two guys, you know, if you took a chance on daily or season long, uh, probably returned their value. Yeah, definitely indeed that they did. Uh, from this game overall, I've got two main takeaways here. Jarvis Landry, number one, regardless of who's playing quarterback for them, I think he's going to be uh, top 20 receiver, possibly top 15 in PPR formats. Maybe not so much in, in standard formats heading into next year. And Ryan Tannehill, many people gave him this being the year. I think he's got not only strong weapons to start and developing weapons and guys like Devontae Parker, who had four catches for 93 yards on the day. I just, I'm not sure he's, he's the answer there in that organization. Like the Browns, like some of the other similar organizations in that position are going to have some big-time decisions to make in the personnel department, on especially whether or not they decide to go with a quarterback in the draft. Oh, yeah, that's all we have to say about that one. Again, don't really want to get too far down the rabbit hole there. But 49ers 17, Lions 32, another uh, pretty uninspiring matchup as Blaine Gabbert outdueled by Matthew Stafford. Vance McDonald, Torrey Smith both caught touchdowns from Blaine Gabbert. Stafford threw two touchdowns of his own. Megatron had one of those. How about Duwan Harris, former Packer Duwan Harris, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, correct? Yeah. 73 yards rushing on 11 carries. Yeah, exactly. Duwan Harris and uh, Miles White, former Packer practice squad greats, making a name for themselves in Week 16. Elsewhere, I mean, with Sean Drone hurt, it was a crapshoot for the 49ers backfield. I wasn't really ready to, to recommend or, or pick up any 49ers running backs on the road in Detroit, who has at least, you, you know, I think uh, the coach has saved his job there and the way that they've been a little bit resurgent towards the back half of the year. Uh, Kelvin Johnson found the end zone in this one. I like that. Uh, people have been kind of dogging him this year, calling him questionable Pro Bowl suggestion. I think he's kind of battled some injuries off and on. And if you're in a dynasty format, I think your price on Kelvin Johnson is going to be cheaper than it will ever be. And, you know, maybe would try to go out and get him. And, I, you know, I've talked to some dynasty owners that want to – dump off Calvin Johnson and I'm like you realize that you're not going to be able to get much in return for him at this point but uh other dynasty owners potential buy low option I'd, I'd be uh looking at the trade market for that kind of thing all right Texans 34 Titans 6 this one got ugly really really early oh, Texans were up 34-0 in this one and uh Zach Mettenberger not not exactly yeah. uh helping his case but 27 to 51 for him 234 yards a touchdown and a pick Brandon Whedon played fairly well managed the game 15 for 24 200 yards and a couple touchdowns bj daniels uh got some reps in this one they were kind of alternating quarterbacks uh for one series at least I, I was checking in on this game a little bit and i think it was towards the end of the second quarter bj daniels was in and he's a little bit more mobile or quite a bit more mobile i should say than brandon whedon and absolutely and it looked like they were trying to mix things up there but it was mostly brandon whedon for the vast majority of this game and, and he's actually the one who got in the end zone uh, among these quarterbacks so two touchdown passes a rushing touchdown i mean if for some reason you were you were riding brandon whedon and daily i i think you probably have to be happy with what he provided yeah absolutely i mean 
outside of DeAndre Hopkins, not a whole lot of fantasy relevancy going on in this matchup. The big thing is, is I call this the bowl of the streaming defenses. Both of them had, again, you know, you look at opposing quarterbacks and you pick up a defense. Uh, so both you can you could have made a case for both the Titans and the Texans heading in for this game. If you went with the Texans, you probably won your matchup this yep. week. If you went with the Titans, you probably lost your matchup this week. I unfortunately got way too clever in one league and picked up the Titans and played them in favor of the Minnesota Vikings last night, who I Oof. thought, oh, Eli and those guys, you know, they're going to be, they're, they're going to at least score some points. Whereas the Titans against Brandon Whedon at home, too, yep. uh, unfortunately, that might cost me a, uh, a restaurant gift card for the oh. uh, for the, uh, the line. challenge. Yeah, a whole lot on the line there. Mm-hmm. But really, this is the bowl of the defense streams, and you, you hit it, you're, you're in, you didn't. Uh, I guess we'll try again next year. Yeah, I mean, you, you can be more right. I picked up the Houston D in, in the league that I won last night, and I, I think they it was 19 points in, in the format I was in, and mm-hmm. uh, I think I was playing against the Houston D in a different format, and it was 20-plus points. So yeah, I, mean, I saw a couple 20-point performances right. in daily. Uh, my, my best daily lineup this week, I think, had the Texans mm-hmm. defense in it, which is you know, you know a little bit of luck, yep. but at the same time, why not? Obviously, the Titans were playing from behind a lot in this one, but 11 rushing attempts for 30 yards. I mean, this has been a theme. They, they don't have a running back really right now. I mean, it's, is it David Cobb, Bishop Sankey, Antonio Andrews, all, all three of these guys uh, getting in on the act on Sunday, but just really not they're not able to get anything going on the ground this entire season. I think Cobb has the most long-term potential, but they still yeah. need a draft or, or sign a they running They need back. something, yeah. yeah. I mean, Bishop Sankey was a second-round pick two years ago, and this, I mean, he's just been a non-factor, complete non-factor for this team. Andrews fumbled, which led to a, a defensive return uh, early in the game, and that, that kind of broke things open. But, yeah, very uninspiring way to, to, to kind of close out the season for Tennessee is they, they have one more and probably cruising towards the number one or number two overall pick as they sit at 3-12. and 12. DeAndre Hopkins, 117 yards on seven catches and a touchdown for him, and he's been an absolute monster, second in the league in targets, uh, basically top 10 in just about any stat you can come up with for receivers. Uh, like we said, Whedon got in the end zone on the ground. B.J. Daniels did rush six times uh, from the quarterback position, so it'll be interesting to see if they keep this up. Houston has not quite clinched a playoff spot. Uh, they're about they're, as much in the driver's seat on, as you yeah. can. Yeah, I mean, they're they're in, essentially. If Cincinnati beats Denver tonight, that somehow clinches it for, for Houston because of how the tiebreakers work, uh, you know, strength of opponents' records uh, comes into play. So if Cincinnati beats Denver, they're in. Either way, uh, if the Texans win next week, they're in. I mean, they control their destiny. But if they lose and the Colts beat the Titans next week and then a bunch of other things happen, there is a possibility that they can't get in. But a lot of things would have to happen at this point for Houston not to be that four seed uh, as the AFC South champion. And they've got the Jaguars next week to get through. So (laughs) no brick wall. Yeah, a brick wall, exactly. No easy task, but... uh... You know they're probably rooting for the mm. for the Bengals tonight just to lock. I things think up. So. I think so. I mean, this is a Jags team that's certainly capable of beating them. I mean, they they don't have anything to play for tangibly right now, but in that, not necessarily the offense you want to be going up against. Uh, you know, if you need a win to clinch. Uh, we've partnered with our friends at DraftKings to run an exclusive RotoWire fantasy football contest. The final four weeks of the season, we've mentioned it on the uh, the weeks previous. Rotowire podcast listeners can participate against each other in these Rotowire leagues, uh, and the Rotowire podcast hosts have been in them as well. 
the championship for that league is now going on in week 17 so thanks to you uh you know if you have been playing in these leagues over week 14 15 16 and you qualified congratulations uh not sure how many people qualified in week 16 i haven't seen the numbers yet but either way that winner will take home a hundred dollars uh or the winners of last week's i guess say qualifiers took home a hundred dollars as well as a seat in that week 17 championship so should be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and did you take part in any of these contests? Yeah, I took part in a couple, but uh, had some rough lineups there that didn't quite work out for me. Yeah, the Week 17 Championship, of course, this week. Uh, you can definitely. I'm not exactly sure what the final payday is, but it's it's definitely worth doing. I mean, uh, and we're going to probably continue doing things yeah. like this uh, for the future seasons to come. But you know, quick plug for RotoWire in there as well. Week 17, it's more important than anything to be following the actives inactives and the depth charts and the injury information because there's going to be a lot of profitable matchups in daily week 17 depending on who has to win who has to play who's going to sit their starters who the backups are so it's as good of a time as ever to head on over to rotowire.com slash pod to get your free 10-day trial and uh, check it out hopefully you can get get some cash in in daily and, and set the table for for a good winning pattern for future seasons all right, let's get back into Sunday's games. This one, uh, I think this one rivaled the Colts-Dolphins game for ugliest of the week. And you know, I was watching Red Zone throughout the afternoon, and I don't think I saw any part of this game on Red Zone until late. And that was thanks to Mike Gillisley. But the Bills take down the Cowboys 16-6. to And what a lost year for Dallas. I mean, they've just, they've just been completely irrelevant. And even... Yeah, even when Romo was back for what three quarters of a game, uh, you know, bunch of picks, and obviously he gets re knocked out. And Jerry Jones was really high on Kellen Moore. He had a lot of good things to say about the the former Boise State star. He got the start for Dallas, but just thirteen of thirty one, one hundred and eighty six yards and a pick. And this is a guy who, you know, doesn't have a big arm necessarily, but his you know his calling card is decision making, and he's one of the you know, one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the history of college football, if not the most. I, I think DVR and I talked about this last week. We couldn't remember if it was he or Mariota who has the efficiency record. It's it's one of those two, um, and yeah, we really haven't seen that. I mean, obviously the NFL is a completely different animal than a you know than running the Boise State offense, but. You know, this Dallas team, I, I think, just wants to get out of this season, get a high draft pick, and, and move on to 2016. Yeah, hopefully take advantage of a high draft pick. I mean, you take that Cowboys offense, which is, which I would say is good, but maybe not great, and then you then you cut Tony Romo and Des Bryant, who is also inactive for the contest. Uh, you know, and your top receivers are Terrence Williams and a banged up Cole Beasley. Then you look down the line. I think Bryce Butler Bryce was getting Butler. targets. Uh, you know, Witten was still active, but. You can only do so much with that. So, yeah, it's just an off season for the Cowboys. I, you know, I'm not necessarily down on Des Bryant for next year. Uh, once he gets Romo back and he's apparently healthy, I'll uh, I'll be trying to buy low on Bryant next year. So I still think he's easily a top 15, maybe even top 10 receiver. Oh yeah. But uh, other than that, I'm anxious to see who they sign in the backfield. I'm not sure Darren McFadden's the long term solution there. And uh, you know, optimistic for the future, but obviously this is a lost season, and which is really too bad because it would have been a, a year that even a very average year, a nine and seven year, could have ended up winning the division here. So uh, that's what's bittersweet about it, you know, is like had Dallas even been like sixty percent healthy, you know, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd like to think that they're probably the you know on paper they look like they should better. have been at least eight and eight, which is yes. kind of how it's been for the last few years. Either they squeak into the playoffs or they yep. just miss it with a record right around five hundred. Yep, yep. I mean, looking at the Bills side of things. Vintage Tyrod Taylor, 13 of 18, 179 yards. No touchdowns, did have a pick, was sacked three times. But 
that's basically what they want him to do. You know, get that completion percentage up up over 60, just kind of manage the game, make a few timely runs, and that's exactly what he was able to do. 14 carries for 67 yards uh, in this one for Tyrod. Carlos Williams, 76 yards on 17 carries and a touchdown. Mike Gillisley, 9 carries, 93 yards, and a touchdown for him. And this is a guy who has only played in four games this season, but he already has runs of 30 yards, 60 yards, and 50 yards uh, Mm -hmm. over that four-game span, averaging 10.4 yards per carry on just 23 attempts. He reminds me of Antoine Smith from the Falcons last year, maybe Jarek McKinnon, where Mm -hmm. not going to get a ton of touches, but is a big play threat and kind of a... Kind of the lightning to the thunder of Carlos Williams down low, of course, with LaShawn McCoy out for the contest. Right, and both guys, you know, if you want with either of them in daily, uh, you know, return their value at the minimum. Sammy Watkins, five catches for 84 yards. Didn't get in the end zone in this one, but a couple long receptions for him. And he's, he's really turned into a much better deep threat, I think, mm-hmm. than, than I expected him to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit optimistic for him next year. I, you know, the first six, eight weeks of this year, I'm like, God. Why did I take Sammy Watkins? I, I didn't want to do it, but he fell so far that I just I had to do it. He's a name. And, you know? Yeah, and he actually helped carry me into that, that one semifinal league we discussed uh, earlier in the year, especially with that, the one-two touchdown game, and I believe he found the end zone last week as well. Uh, so this made me a little bit more optimistic about it. If you if you would have asked me at the halfway point of the season, I said, won't touch Watkins with a 10-foot pole next year. Tyrod Taylor's not someone that's going to get him the ball consistently. That's actually was my biggest concern with Watkins, but but now I'm a little bit more optimistic. And you know, if he can take take his last five or six games of the season and project that pace over the entire year, he's potentially a thousand yard receiver with eight to ten touchdowns. So uh, be optimistic about him, at least not super optimistic, but more than I was, I say, at the halfway point of the year. Right. And this is a guy who easily would have topped a thousand yards, you know, had he played a full year. He, he still could get over that and, and has a very good chance to do that. He's 89 yards away heading in to week 17. But I mean, he, he did miss three games early in the year, uh, and that obviously cost him. But over these last five weeks, 158 yards, two touchdowns, 109 yards and a touchdown, 81 yards and a touchdown, 111 yards, two touchdowns, and then Sunday, 84 yards, no touchdowns. But yeah, like you said, I mean, it maybe not realistic to prorate that kind of production over 16 games. But I mean, this is a guy that even with a, an adverse quarterback situation, like you said, uh, you know, would, would have easily been on pace for maybe eleven or twelve hundred yards yeah. with with maybe twelve or thirteen touchdowns. I think if you gave him a quarterback like Philip Rivers, maybe right. who might be on the market, something like that. Yep. You know, you just that could that would be huge. He's one of those guys. Like I mean, could he make that DeAndre Hopkins type of leap where he you know been good early, but then has you know really has a season that that kind of solidifies him as one of those young and up and coming receivers, kind of hopping into that you know, into that category with Hopkins and Mike Evans, and you know the list can really go on. I'm not sure he's earned the quarterback proof label just yet. I mean, again, this is a small sample size, and there were a couple games in that second-half stretch. There was a game where he only had three catches of 14 yards on seven targets, another one where he only had three catches for 39 on six targets. Granted, those were tough matchups against the Jets and Patriots, but he's getting there. He's ascending a little bit. We'll uh, We'll see next year where he goes. I think there could be a lot of room for profit, but maybe also a little bit risky. Again, huge offseason to find out if the quarterback situation is going to stay the same or or how it's all going to play out Chicago 26 Tampa Bay 21 a pair of teams that now sit at six and nine Jay Cutler 20 to 27 just 156 yards in this one did have a touchdown 
Uh, no Alshon Jeffrey for Chicago, and you know, this offense tends to sputter when he's not in there, and, and it's pretty evident. But you know, putting up 26 points on what's been a, a pretty shaky Tampa Bay defense, but you know, a, a semi semi respectable defense at that. Jameis Winston, 15 of 29, 295 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Did Marcus Mariota going down with with that MCL injury uh, a week ago? Did that kind of seal it that Jameis Winston is going to be the offensive rookie of the year this year? Yeah, you know, I could I could buy that. Uh, you can definitely make a case for something like that. Uh, but again, some of that was luck from Jameis today. There was a Hail Mary to Safarian Jenkins for one of those touchdowns. So if you play to ask Jay, you're not a genius. You got lucky. Um, but I'll, although I am very optimistic about Safarian Jenkins, I think he's a tight end one going into next oh, year. Yeah. That skill set, he haven't put together a full healthy season, especially after what we saw from him early in the year there. But yeah. James Winston, I, I think he would get my vote unless I don't know something. Something's itching at me. I feel like there's another obvious candidate. I mean, there's Gurley, but yeah. he missed he missed so much in the beginning of the year that his numbers really aren't going to look all that great when it's all said and done. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I David would, Johnson. Yeah, I mean, David Johnson's even had less of a sample size than right. Gurley. He That's, really came on later after the Chris Johnson injury. You know. I think it's got to be Jameis, just by, kind of by default. I mean, this is good. this could be a seven-win team, and you know that's that's considered. I, I think he had overall what's considered a successful rookie season. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. Uh, you know, just kind of looking down the list here. How about Amari Cooper? Seventy Amari catches Cooper. for over a yeah. thousand yards and six touchdowns. He uh, certainly a case. He, he you could possibly make a case for him as well. It'll be interesting voting. I think it'll be pretty close, actually. I think it will too. There's this is the first time at least in a while that there's not kind of a, at least semi obvious candidate, and mm-hmm. I think the closest thing to that. Uh, is Jameis Doug Martin 49 yards and a touchdown in this one long long rush of only nine yards though on 17 carries so really not able to get any big plays going pretty much a dud for him yeah oh absolutely Uh, I mean the touchdown kind of salvaging a little bit but not what you're expecting in, in such a pivotal point in the season Jeremy Langford, 83 yards. Matt Forte, 54 yards. Langford got the, the, the lion's share of the carries in this one, 19 compared to Forte's 11. Kadeem Carey, seven carries, just 16 yards, but he was the one who got in the end zone. So, you know, if, unless you yeah, – I mean, this you really can't win if you went with yeah. any of these Bears backs. Yeah, Carey got in the end zone twice. I was actually happy yep. to see that for daily purposes because I'm like, oh, at least that helps nobody. Um, but, you know, speaking of running backs, on the other side uh, – someone a name you might want to consider in dynasty formats of course uh yeah you all know about safarian jenkins and james winston mike evans but i mean charles sims three catches for 72 yards and a touchdown four carries for 45 yards so although he he's got doug martin in his way uh I think Charles Sims, I like his potential long-term, mostly geared towards PPR formats. One of my uh, more regrettable decisions of the day is I played Joyke Bell over Charles Sims in a full PPR format. It cost me nine points. Probably wouldn't have made a difference in the long run. Cincinnati would have just had to uh, outscore A.J. Green tonight by by 15 instead of 25. So, uh, you know, I can't really beat myself up too much over that. But Charles Sims, uh, he's a decent Maybe not a must-start every single week, but a decent bench option if you're in a league where you have to keep 10. I think you could do far worse with an RB3 or 4. Yeah, and he he might have seen a few extra snaps in this one. Doug Martin lost two fumbles, uh, certainly not the way to stay on the field. Um, But that just about wraps up Bears and Bucks. Panthers 13, Falcons 20. I mean, how surprised were you that, that Carolina went down? I think people... Once the streak got to you know nine ten and zero, people started thinking like it's got to it's got to snap at one point or another, and the Falcons just kind of kept steamrolling everybody at least offensively. But uh, the 
the Cam Newton machine, I, I guess, came to a halt in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was one that I had in two of the three leagues that I was still alive, not because I was necessarily really high on Newton coming in after he lost his weapons, but because he had fell far enough where I thought there could be a good value there. And he turned out to be the man. I mean, he had uh, like almost a 40-point fantasy day in Week 15, but uh, in most of my formats, less than 20 less than 15 in a couple and that's just not enough to cut it out of your quarterback position you I mentioned all the all the box fantasy box score screenshots coming through on social media Cam Newton was on the losing end of a lot of those you talk about someone who carries you to the championship but can't help punch the ticket necessarily I think next year Cam Newton he's back to top five fantasy quarterback range especially when he gets his weapons like Calvin Benjamin back I mean Benjamin's arguably a top 15 receiver too when healthy and you know put that back he maybe don't have to go to the stone hands of of Ted Ginn quite as much or or go to guys like Philly Brown and Jericho Kotchery nothing against those guys personally just uh you know not quite the uh the tier of wide receivers uh, you're looking for in a wide receiver one and two in the NFL but Jonathan Stewart you know seems to be looking good with those with those guys them having a running game there's at least some upside with guys like Whitaker and Artis Payne the young Artis Payne so I think Cam Newton uh will even in a team that runs a lot I think uh just him getting those rushing touchdowns and stuff makes him a top five maybe even a top three quarterback I mean I still think even with the down year for Rodgers you got to put him up there Tom Brady needs to be up there he's certainly proven that but you know fantasy wise Cam Newton's right in that group and I think not only is he top for next year he should be the MVP this year even with this loss yeah I I think this loss damages his case a little bit it was a lot of it was riding on him you know them being the undefeated team and and that storyline but at worst they'll finish at 14 and 2 you know and it's still that's still pretty hard to argue against and you know obviously the Patriots lost this week too yeah his main competition for MVP was Tom Brady who I saw in a decent amount of losing screen caps as well this week yep uh, just the second game this season that Cam Newton's been held without a passing touchdown. He's gotten in the end zone in one form or another in every single game. So, I mean, just such a high floor because of what he gives you as a runner. I mean, even if he's having an off day like like he did, just 142 yards uh, against this Atlanta defense, still going to provide you with 46 rushing yards and, and got in the end zone. Matt Ryan, 306 yards, 23 of 30, only one touchdown. But this probably his best uh, best individual performance since early in the season. Julio Jones, nine catches, 178 yards, and a touchdown for him. That came on a well, was basically a hail mary. I don't know if you saw that play. Yeah, I mean, Matt Ryan, Ryan chucked it up and just a yeah into double coverage, and Julio went up and over Luke Keekley. Yeah, he picked it off the front of his helmet. I mean, well, it's just yeah. I mean it, that that the still shot that you saw on Twitter of those. You know, Julio's a foot and a half off the ground with his arms fully extended, just plucks it right away and turns and, and basically jogs into the end zone from there so I mean that that was one of those like up oh, yep this guy's the best receiver in the yeah, NFL type of plays yeah. yeah I mean if you're if you're starting a franchise and need a young receiver to build around it's got to be Julio Jones I think He's... some people might make a case for Odell Beckham with, with some of those recent antics and I, I, I mean I think Julio Jones is four inches taller than yeah, Odell Beckham physical too. tools like, for, for Julio Jones put him over the head or put him over the edge there over the hump I, I think if you you got to pick one receiver in the game to start your franchise with there's no it's question it's Julio Jones right and you really can't go wrong with any of those guys and there's probably three or four others you could toss in that mm-hmm. conversation right now too but I think yeah Julio's the clear number one if you went with Greg Olson as I did this week you you kind of got burned I mean did have four catches for 40 yards a leading receiver for this Panthers team but not nearly the production that we've become used to with mm-hmm. him and Philly Brown didn't really do much. Ted Ginn, just one catch for nine yards. He was the guy that people were really, really high on this week. A lot uh, of recency bias after yes. the two-touchdown uh, 
performance a week ago in week 15 and, and this is something we like to preach you know you can't you can't overreact too much to a recent production I mean you know the exception to that rule is Doug Baldwin of late uh, who found the end zone again on Sunday but uh, but yeah sometimes that recency bias will come back and, and bite you and that was the case if you're using Ted Ginn in daily I, I can't really trust Ted Ginn in season long because of the inconsistency it if seems crazy were, that we're even like having this conversation yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the Panthers just couldn't get big plays in this one. This was the national Fox game, at least in Wisconsin. So, you know, we got to watch most of this one and no passes of more than 20 yards. And even with the lack of weapons, that's kind of been their calling card is being able to rip off those big gains. Only one play of 20 plus yards. And that was a Cameron artist Payne 31 yard run in the first half. So it's just, they just weren't able to get chunks of yardage against what's been a pretty porous Atlanta D. Yeah, I know. And that's, uh, obviously led to the defeat in this one. And, uh, and, a little bit worrisome, but not too worrisome. I mean, the the Falcons needed to win this game no matter what to keep the slim playoff ch- chances they had alive. The Panthers, even if they lost this game, still have a pretty good chance of the one seed. So the difference yeah. in the amount to play for uh, is what I'm guessing helped determine the outcome of this game. That's th- this one individual loss, uh, even to Atlanta, doesn't really you know hurt my outlook on the Panthers for uh for the playoffs I still see them as an NFC championship team Super Bowl winning team I don't know that might be tough but I you know I, I could see I them know. in the I, NFC championship I I feel like this loss doesn't really affect I think they're they have to be the Super Bowl favorite I mean Arizona yeah. looks great and you can you can certainly convince me that they're the favorite as well in the NFC but I mean Carolina's 14 and 1 right now yeah. and if they go into the playoffs at 15 and 1 or 14 and 2 I mean it I think it's a toss-up between those two. I mean, this, this is going to be one of the more fun playoffs, I think, to watch in a while. I mean, New England kind of looked like the juggernaut through the first nine or ten weeks, but all of a sudden with the injuries that they've had, they look they look vincible, at least. Yes, uh, Cincinnati, same way, you know, same story with them, with injuries, especially to Andy Dalton. Denver, same category. I mean, this is... The Super Bowl is as up for grabs as just about any you know that you can think of in the last few years. Even Seattle's played well, but you know we'll get to them in a second. And you know they they lose in, in, in kind of stunning fashion to St. Louis, and you know they they could go into the playoffs as a as a nine and seven team if if things break uh, certain ways. So, I mean you you look at there are a few teams you could probably eliminate. You know Washington's not winning the Super Bowl. I don't think Green Bay's winning the Super Bowl. We'll talk yeah. about them in a, in a minute too. And I'm sure there are still plenty of people. Uh, who think they can they can turn it on when they want but you know there are six or seven teams who are going to be in competition for this yeah I, I would agree there's a lot of them and there's some teams still fighting for spots that you know things a lot of things can change uh, I do I do actually like Seattle and I'm going to be pretty worried if Seattle comes to Green Bay uh, in, in the playoffs there it'll give me the same stomach feeling as, as that San Francisco mm-hmm. game did a few years back but yeah it's really anyone's game I mean not that I was necessarily down on the Panthers at all because of, it's not because of this loss I I thought I think they're locked for the NFC championship maybe the Super Bowl but I think they're gonna have a tough time getting by Arizona which yep. uh, we'll talk about in a bit yep so you know you talked about some of these positions that are still in flux the nfc we know which six excuse me which six teams are going to be in afc still some things to be settled in week 17 steelers fall to the ravens and that's this is one of the reasons that there is still uh some things to be settled ravens 20 steelers 17 second loss to baltimore this season for pittsburgh michael vick of course was quarterbacking during the first one but that's a three-game winning streak snapped uh they no longer control their own destiny you know with the Chiefs winning and the Jets winning uh they're both at 10 and 5 Chiefs have already clinched bizarrely enough Denver has not clinched but Kansas City which currently is a game back of Denver or a half game back of Denver I guess before Monday night's game has clinched so Pittsburgh gets in if Denver loses out 
the Jets win next week and they beat Cleveland next week. They can also get in if the Jets lose to Buffalo and they beat Cleveland. Uh, and they can still get the five seed, Pittsburgh. So a lot to be settled here. Uh, but again, they no longer control their own destiny with this I mean, loss. Yeah, Pittsburgh's beating the Browns. I have very little doubt in my mind about yep. that. Uh, it's just a matter of if the other things fall into play. Yeah, here. I and think now, Denver could lose out. That's very possible. Yep. And there's a lot, a lot that could happen. Here. And of course, Rex Ryan now has a chance to play spoiler against the Jets. You know, with the Bills uh, in Week 17. So, yeah, it's going to be. I mean, that and obviously the NFC NFC North title game, de facto title game, is, is going to be a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, seeing what happens with seeds, you know, three, five, and six in the AFC is going to be just as exciting. But Steelers and Seahawks, I think, going into this this week was kind of the trendy Super Bowl pick. You know, the Steelers looking like the hot team in the AFC, mm-hmm. unstoppable offense. Seattle kind of the same way, and then they both lose to similar caliber opponents in similar ways you know just can't get anything going I mean how worried are you about both of these teams a little bit worried but like I said I I have confidence in the Steelers winning next week and either one of those other two scenarios playing out happening so if that's the case I think they definitely find their way to possibly you know I guess it'll depend on the the health of Andy Dalton and the Bengals but I I would be down to see another Patriots Steelers AFC championship game I think that would be uh quite exciting I I, that's what that's what I'll root for I I, you know I'm a big fan of Mike Tomlin and and of course Antonio Brown who got me to the championship but didn't quite help me finish unfortunately a lot of people uh counting on 30 40 points out of Brown were left in second place this week but uh I mean you know maybe not as trendy as they were a week ago but I'm still pretty optimistic about them yeah, I think if Pittsburgh gets in, they're one of those teams that you just don't want to play because that offense is capable of putting 40 on just about anybody. But I mean, as we've seen a couple times this year, they're also capable of just completely sputtering. And D'Angelo Williams did have 100 yards in this one. Ben Roethlisberger got over 200 yards, but two picks are really what ultimately killed them. And you know, you're letting Ryan Mallett go 28 of 41 for 274 yards and a touchdown against you. And you know, you're rushing for over 120 yards as a team. And as badly as the offense played in this one, the defense was was kind of the reason that that they weren't able to pull this out. I mean, this is a Ravens team that I don't think many people thought were going to be able to move the ball when your your best weapons are Kamar Aiken, Buck Allen, and Ryan Mallett. Yeah, Kyle Usechek, your leading tight end sure. here. I mean, just just all star, all star cast. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that and Big Ben didn't play particularly well either. The accuracy was was decent enough, but no touchdowns, two interceptions. D'Angelo Williams was in a lot of winning daily lineups this week, I noticed. Uh, So, yeah, just a a tough week for the uh, Steelers. There's a couple of in-office Ravens fans that I'm sure are excited about that. Jaguars 27, Saints 38. This one, Jags trailed 24-0 in the second quarter of this one. It was pretty much over. Uh, pretty early but I mean the Jags did get back into it I mean the Saints the Saints D held up a couple a couple picks early in this one and you know looked like it was going to be a route but the Jags did fight their way back Blake Bortles ended up with a very respectable line 27 to 35 368 yards four touchdowns uh, did have the two picks but still I mean as bad as those picks were 35 touchdowns now in the season for Bortles that's second only to Tom Brady was 36 if you went with Hearns or Robinson, those both paid off. Eight catches, 106 yards, two touchdowns for Allen Hearns. Uh, six catches, 151 yards, including a 90-yard touchdown for Allen Robinson. So, I mean, that pair continues to just light it up. Drew Brees, 412 yards, three touchdowns for him. Brandon Cooks had a big game. Tim Hightower had a big game. Um, Jonas Gray led the Jaguars in rushing. 
Jonas Gray. That that's where things have have gone here. But yeah. this one was all about offense. I mean, these were two teams that almost combined for a thousand total yards. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of Tim Hightower in, in winning daily lineups, of course, at, at at his price and and in championships. Tim Hightower really tore this one up uh, for the Saints here. Who would have thought? You know, we're saying this, but uh, a lot of people went with the Jaguars in daily this week, so they weren't necessarily contrarian play. You figured the Saints. Playing well at home, was, we're going to go up big, and their porous defense is going to allow uh, a decent amount of uh, throwing. And that's exactly what happened, regardless of if you went with Robinson or Hearns. Both excellent fantasy options. The only jag that really burned people is Julius Thomas, who only targeted twice for whatever reason. I guess they didn't need to use the tight end in this game. Even though the Saints give up the most fantasy points to tight ends by far, this is one that I used Julius in, in multiple season-long leagues. And maybe three or four daily lineups and uh, really let me down there. It could have been a huge day if I'd have gone with anybody else. Uh, but nonetheless, there's my Julius Thomas vent. Uh, as, as a Jakes fan, what's your take on Julius Thomas? Are you liking him next year? Like, Where would you put him in the tight end rankings? He's top top 10 probably? Yeah. I or is that a stretch? I don't I think he's he might be top 10 solely because it's even in the NFL and even going into a season when everybody is mostly healthy, it's still – it's still a luxury uh, if you're looking at things from a fantasy perspective to look at a guy and just know that he's the number one tight end. You know, I mean, they're, they're, it's fairly rare to to have that. And even if he's in an offense that doesn't necessarily favor the tight end spot, I think he has to be among the top 10 or 15 just because of the name and just because you know that when he's healthy, he's going to be the main target guy there, even if those target numbers are fairly low. I mean, he's he's been good in the red zone for them, and the, the overall season numbers don't look good. He's had some games where he just hasn't – he's been invisible. Uh, and, and he also missed some games to start the season. Yeah, so, just, he missed the four to start the season. But, I mean, I look at the game log, and what I notice is touchdowns in four straight weeks from right. 11 to 14. That's probably what got me to where I was. Exactly. Now. And the thing that maybe worries me is – there probably could be a coaching shakeup on the horizon here, and mm-hmm. rightfully so. I mean, as a Jaguars fan, I, I think it's I think it's time. Uh, I mean, this is a team that it shouldn't be a you know shouldn't be at five and ten right now. Um, but the offense under Gus Bradley has been significantly better, you know, than it's been over the last five or six years. And you know, if you're bringing in a new coaching staff with a new system, that makes you wonder. You know, is this 35, you know, could could end up being high 30s, maybe even 40 touchdown season from Bortles when it's all said and done. Is this just going to end up being a fluke? So, you know, I, I think we'll have to see what happens in the, with the coaching staff in the offseason. But at the same time, I, I'm not going to be targeting Julius Thomas in drafts, but I'm also not going to be disappointed if, you know, if he, if falls, he falls to me to and, yeah. and, yeah, and that's who you end up yeah. going with. I think Bortles will end up as a top 12 quarterback for sure next year. He's going to be drafted by owners with plans for a quarterback one. Yeah, yeah. I just hope he's not next year's Matt Ryan. You know, a mm-hmm. guy who you, you look at the weapons around him and the offense and think, you know, how can he not have a big year? And then you know things end up going south. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see what goes on there. I don't want to talk any more Jags, and no one else probably wants to hear it either at this point. So we'll move on to the Packers. Cardinals oh thirty-eight, Packers eight. This I don't know how many times on this podcast or, or on the radio I've said. Is this a new low point for the Packers this year? But this has to be a new low point. I mean, you had to your offensive line was so horrific that you had to pull your MVP quarterback out because you, you simply couldn't afford to have him on the field. And in my opinion, they probably did it too late. I mean, yeah, yeah. This well, Rodgers been... came out. It looked they showed Tolzien warming up, and it looked like Rodgers kind of. And came I think after anyway. the game, uh, I was driving back to Madison after the game, and you know, they had the post game show on, and I forget who they brought. Oh, it was Mark Tauscher who hosted, mm-hmm. uh, former Packers offensive lineman Mark Tauscher, and he basically said, 
it's technically Mike McCarthy's call, but Aaron Rodgers has enough clout that if he wants to stay in, he's going to stay in. So I think McCarthy probably wanted him out of there early, and okay. Rodgers maybe said, give me one more drive. And they got down to the red zone and then ended yeah. up giving it up on downs. Yeah, right? on a pass that went through the hands of Devontae Adams that Rodgers set him up perfectly well, for. Didn't he, well, there's that on third down, and then they went back to Adams on fourth down. And, and it, but they, they threw like a they, one yard. It was, yeah, it was like a check down, expecting him to cut up field and get in the end zone. He was. I, I mean, I just don't know. That, I don't think that was on Adams. I think that was just a bad play call, or maybe a bad. I mean, he caught the ball at like the four yard line with two defenders there, and they. It could have been a bad it. route too. We never. You, you'll never really know. But uh, yeah, one of the one of my leagues I had Aaron Rodgers in, where you get six points for touchdowns. Normally that's huge, uh, but of course not going to be taking home pay dirt in that unless I get a historic day out of the Bengals defense tonight. Uh, but yeah, so, <laughs> what would have to happen exactly for the like? I think how I many need, picks? I think I need about two punt returns, two pick sixes, and a shutout. That ought to do it for me, or you know, some combination. If they get, if they, ha- I mean, basically, they need to ha- they need to do what the Cardinals' defense did to the Packers in this game for that to happen. The, the fumble return and, and and the turnovers and, and eight sacks and the Bengals' pass rush much improved this year. And and uh, I mean, it's not without out of the realm of possibility. I guess it's going to hinge on what A.J. Green's able to provide for my opponent there. But, oh, well, I'll take second second place in a 14-team. Yeah. You know, I'd say that's not a failure at all. Right. It's somewhat of a fluky week in general. But, yeah, two two fumble return touchdowns in this one for Arizona. Aaron Rodgers uh, threw what kind of at the time was somewhat of a dagger interception. And they were only down – Green Bay was only down 10 nothing. But, to I mean, to that point, each drive previous, all four of them had ended in a punt. Yeah. Finally, Green Bay gets things going. They're inside the Arizona red zone. They're third and five at the 10, and Rodgers just throws a really, really bad ball to looking for James Jones in the end zone. That's picked off uh, by Bethel, and yeah. and that was kind of it. You know, you got the feeling, even though it was 10-0, you, know, you kind of thought, uh, this just is not going the right direction. And, of course, Arizona got the ball back with mm-hmm. you know, at their own 20 with, only, with less than a minute left, and they were able to go down and get a touchdown before half, and that was really you know the dagger at that point. Yeah, I would agree with you. Now, now for Green Bay, the road for the Super Bowl at one point or another is going to lead through Arizona, and this, of course, didn't really doesn't really make anyone optimistic about their chances of winning there. But I think if they do go back there and play again, we'll see a much closer game. It won't be much yeah. of a blowout. I mean, that second fumble return basically got tipped by two guys, fell straight into the guy's hand in the direction he was running. I, you know, I don't think we're going to see those interceptions exceptions out of Rodgers. Whatever it takes, they're going to find a way to protect Aaron Rodgers, whether it's bring Kuhn back there or do more two tight end sets. They do have Corliss back now, so they've got some flexibility there. They need to get healthy on the offensive line first and foremost, but the, you know they'll have a game plan for that type of thing moving forward, and I think we'll see a much closer game. Even if they don't win, I think we'll see more of a 27-24 type game, and it'll be a great playoff game, great playoff atmosphere, but I do have enough faith in Mike McCarthy that over the years he's going to be able to make the, make the adjustments and, and make the game closer. Will they win? I, I, it's still tough, you know. It's. I don't, seem I like don't it's see. Season. I think we're a little bit jaded by you know our inherent Packers bias in some way. Even though I'm a Jags fan, you know, I'm still I still have a soft I mean, you're, spot you're for from Green Bay. The Green Bay area. Right? Yeah, and like you know, you always want to believe your team has a chance. I'm not saying the Packers don't have a chance, but I mean they got annihilated in every single phase of the game in this one. And I mean, I don't. I just I didn't see anything that says. You know, this this is a team that would have a chance. I mean, this Arizona team is really good. I, I don't want to take anything away from them. I think they're they're maybe not thirty points better than the Packers, but I think they're probably two touchdowns better. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. It's curious what what the line's going to be if the Packers I was go back that. there on the road. It was, it was, I would guess about minus eight and a half. It was or nine six and a half. for this game. It was six for this game. 
And All right, so I'm thinking minus eight and a half Arizona if they go back there in the playoffs. That I think that sounds about, about right. right. That'd be quite a big line, though, for the playoffs. Though. It, it would. It could just be six and a half again. Yeah. Well, it kind of depends where the money's coming in, and I think this would be There's somewhat always, of a trendy-ish upside yeah. pick. There's always a lot pick. of Packer money to yeah, come exactly. in. They, they're all over the place. They travel pretty well. Well, they traveled well in this game, too. I mean, it was it's, it was funny. It kind of seemed like a home game. Yeah, even yeah, and, even down three, four scores, you could still hear the John Coon yep. chants late in you the game. You could hear Go and, Pack Go yeah. throughout the first half. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, we, even the, the panning shots of the crowd, it was you know basically 50-50, it seemed. And you, know, you got to wonder if they, if is that going to be the case again? I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better like road, you know, home basically a home road crowd for Green Bay, and that you thought that would be an advantage, and clearly it it wasn't a help at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, the way things are shaping up now in the in the NFC North, Green Bay is going to play host uh, on Sunday. They flex the game already to Sunday night. Play host to Minnesota uh, for basically the de facto NFC North championship. If you're the Packers, do you? I mean, you're, you're going to try to win this game, right? Mm-hmm. Because would you rather have the home playoff game against Seattle, um, or would you rather, you know, travel or get the wild card and then have to travel somewhere in round one? Well, I mean, if they're traveling, they'd probably be traveling to Minnesota, right? Where they already beat the Vikings. This exactly. Year. Now, I guess as a Packer fan, I would much rather play Minnesota on the road than play Seattle at home I think they have a much better chance of beating Minnesota on the road than they do Seattle at home even though there were some injuries in that in that last Minnesota game well, I'll cut you off just quickly but, because I just want to ask run through scenarios like so Minnesota's 10 and 5 right now Seattle's 9 and 6 if Green Bay wins and Seattle wins Minnesota loses so that would put Green Bay at 11 and 5 Minnesota and Seattle both at 10 and 6 would Seattle jump Minnesota meaning Minnesota would come to Green Bay Oh, you know what? I don't know what the tie. I don't know off the top of my head what the tie break yeah, is. I, I don't quite have that scenario down either. Let me, but, let me look that up. But yeah, but either way, I, I mean, I think that uh, both of them are going to be incredibly intriguing matchups. I mean, the, the Vikings absolutely just took it to the Packers, or not the Packers. Yeah, mixing them up with the Cardinals, but the Vikings took it to the Giants last week. They didn't really have a an answer on offense, and this Minnesota defense is solid. Teddy Two Gloves looking uh, like a much better quarterback. Uh, you know, I took him into dynasty format. I don't think I played him once this season, and I'm probably going to let him go in favor of Derek Carr for next year. I think that's the right decision. But uh, but nonetheless, uh, looking a lot more optimistic, found a go-to receiver in Stephon Diggs. Who would have thought on a roster with guys like Mike Wallace that uh, that <laughs> that this would happen for Teddy Bridgewater? And, yeah, and overall, I mean, the Vikings kind of starting to get hot at the right time leading up into the playoffs here, but... Either way, it's going to be a, a, a tough, uh, tough matchup, regardless of who they have to play for the Packers. And, and as a Packers fan, you know, I guess you'd like to see the home playoff game. But with, with the way the Wisconsin weather has been lately, we could get rainy, freezing rain. It could be a snowstorm, regardless. And and the running game just hasn't been consistent enough as it has in years like, say, their Super Bowl year, to to make you have that kind of confidence in them winning those type of ground and pound games. So looking at playoff scenarios, according to the New York Times uh, playoff simulator, which is actually a very cool uh, tool that they developed and that I've used quite a bit this season, if Green Bay beats Minnesota, they would, of course, be the three seed um, and get that that home wild card playoff game. If Seattle uh, goes ahead and beats Arizona next week, obviously the Vikings would have lost to Green Bay. Seattle would jump them. So that would make Minnesota the six and Green Bay the three. So you'd be looking at Minnesota at home there. Um, of course, if the Cardinals end up beating Seattle, then that puts Minnesota as the five seed as the wild card, you know, assuming Green Bay wins. That means that Seattle would go to Green Bay in round one. So 
Green Bay will already know uh, the results of those games uh, once they play. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to affect anything at all? I think after the game, of course, this came up and you know, everybody said the right things. McCarthy and I think Clay Matthews was quoted, you know, we have a chance to win the division. That, that's important. That's first and foremost. And that, that's true. I, I, think, I think it's certainly hard to, to ask anyone, especially in the sport of football, where you kind of got to go hard or <laughs> bad things can happen to you physically. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of hard to ask a team, you know, let's, let's take it easy here and, and try to and try to tank this one. You, you just can't do that. Yeah, I mean, the only way you could actually ask the team to do that would be maybe switching to Tolzien or something. For yeah, a go week. personnel but changes. I, I, I don't think that it would go over well in the town or or anywhere else for that matter if they just tanked a potential division title right. in favor of getting a road playoff matchup, yeah. and that would be huge. That's kind of admitting, like, yeah. to me, that's admitting, like, yeah, we're scared. We don't want to play these guys. Yeah, exactly, and and that's huge bulletin board material for Minnesota as well. So, uh, yeah, just kind of a nightmare scenario all around if something like that were to happen they're going to go ahead and try to win this game regardless it's yep. going to be a great sunday night football matchup there are there is a situation too where they could end up you know if they lose whether by design or not they could end up going to washington in round one too so i mean they, mm-hmm. who knows i mean that that's certainly a matchup you like but at the same time i probably I mean, like that better than both of the, the yeah Vikings i think i think so i mean washington's been hot minnesota obviously coming off of a big win this week too so i, I don't think there's one team that you look at and think it's a lock victory i mean look at, look at where green bay's at right now the packers are probably the team that everybody wants to play yeah exactly i mean yeah based on their performance especially this week it's just jekyll and hyde this year you have no idea which packers team is going to show up it's, and that's made them frustrating to watch yeah. uh you know talking about this with my dad over christmas there's no amount of money i would bet for or against the packers because it's a it's a huge crap no and really point. like I mean, maybe this is different nationally, but like, would you be that surprised if the Packers like got hot and made a run to the NFC title game? Like, I don't think that would be like insane. Nobody would be that surprised, but I also wouldn't be shocked if they got blown out. Uh, you know, say they end up playing at Minnesota yeah. or something, I wouldn't be surprised if they got blown out. I think both scenarios are just as lucky or yep. are just as likely. Who, who knows? It's it's one or the other, and that's how they won the Super Bowl the last yep. time. Squeaked into the playoffs. That is and true. That although they they spoke about that on on the official. Packers pre or post game radio show. I think it was Wayne Larrabee yeah. and, and Tauscher were talking about that, and they, you know, they said everybody keeps bringing that up. Oh, the Packers were ten and six when they won the Super Bowl. They didn't have a game where they lost by more than four points the entire year, yeah. and like two of those were in overtime. One of them was like a fluke play at the end. I, I don't, I don't remember what exactly what the scenarios were, but it was it were they were games where they were just kind of on the unlucky end exactly. of these losses. And who's who's going to give the Charles Woodson speech this year? Exactly, I don't. Sam Shields? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? No Jared Bush? I, I'm not sure who's going to do it. Uh, real quickly, we'll get to these last two games. Rams 23, Seahawks 17. This was a, among the more surprising results. Uh, the Seattle loses, but in the process still clinched a playoff spot based on what else happened around the league. Uh, but a disappointing performance from what was probably the league's hottest team going into this one, uh, both in real football and fantasy football uh, circles. Wilson, 25 of 41, 289 yards, two touchdowns and a pick for him, 39 rush yards, still salvaged a decent fantasy day. Doug Baldwin just continues to annihilate everyone. Eight catches, 118 yards and a touchdown, 11 touchdowns now over the last five games. St. Louis, and they got the win, but not a lot of big fantasy performances. Todd Gurley, 19 carries, 85 yards and a touchdown, kind of the production that we've been been used to seeing from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Todd Gurley, I think, is one of the only safe first-round running backs next year. Uh, Doug Baldwin, ooh, he's a tough one to judge for 2016. Yeah. Based on these numbers, you'd think he'd be top 25 receiver, but I also think at the same time it's Doug Baldwin, and once they get their rushing game back in order, they'll kind of go more to that run-first offense mm-hmm. than the, than the pass-heavy scheme that we've seen lately. All right, let's finish up. Giants 17, Vikings 49. 
on paper, this looked like it was going to be a really good game with some implications um, on Sunday night football, but this was over very, very quickly. Eli Manning threw three picks, threw a pick six with four minutes left in the second quarter. That put Minnesota up 16-3, to and with the way that that defense was playing throughout the night, uh, that was really all that they needed. Uh, but the Vikings continued to pour it on. Uh, Adrian Peterson got in the end zone, got over 100 yards. Jarek McKinnon had a 68-yard touchdown uh, in garbage time to finish with a pretty nice line of 89 yards and two touchdowns on just seven carries. Teddy Bridgewater had a touchdown. Kyle Rudolph on the receiving end of that. Um, on the on the Giants side of things, I think a lot of people put their eggs in the Reuben Randall basket with no Odell Beckham. Just two catches. Uh, did have 80 yards, 72 of those coming on on a long touchdown. Miles White, as we said, got in the end zone. That was from Ryan Nassib very late in the game. Uh, and again, no Odell Beckham for this Giants team. But um, you know, it's kind of everything's coming down to Week 17 now. We we just kind of hashed it all out with that with that Packers talk. But I mean, Vikings at Packers for the NFC North. If you did have to put money on it, I know you said you you want to do the opposite of that. Uh, I mean, what is your feel heading into this game? Two teams that are coming off of basically opposite results in Week 16. It's going to depend on the spread, and you'd think the Vegas would give the Packers three three and a half at home. But you look at the Week 16 performances, and I could see them giving the Packers only one and a half, two and a half type. I could see it happening, but I think the money will push the it. The line, other way. the line that I'm, I'm seeing right now is two and a half. Two and a half for the Packers. So okay, that makes that makes sense. You know, I would take the Packers in a home matchup. Uh, you know, playing in front of their home crowd against a team that they've already beat this year i know momentum doesn't swing it that way but i, I would give the slight edge to the packers in this game as a betting man but at the, i could just be blinded but i i don't think i think that after the the game that they had this week it's a matter of pride just yep. as much anything and i think they're able to muster one out yep I, I think you i generally try to shade toward the more experienced quarterback toward the more you know the better quarterback in this situation and you know Minnesota is looking maybe like the more complete team right now, but I, th- I think you you got to trust the quarterback position in what's essentially a playoff game. You know, a, a playoff game for the division. Um, the split looking ahead to next week is it's pretty nice. You know, the, the NFL has has not exactly gifted us with the you know, with with great slates as far as you know twelve noon games and one or two late games throughout the season. But we got five three twenty five starts uh, next week, so a nice breakup. And then of course the the seven thirty Vikings at Packers game. And I believe no Monday Night Football in Week 17, right? Uh, no, uh, you know what? I'm not entirely I don't sure think there on is. that. Uh, there might not be, and you know that, that'll work. I, I'm excited for a good space today's last day to really capitalize on on some true daily fantasy in, in a normal uh, in, in a mm-hmm. normal environment. So again, check out those RotoWire free trials. You can use that knowledge, put it into Playout DraftKings. Uh, some more love to our sponsors on one of the final shows of the year as mm-hmm. it starts to wind down a little bit. But uh, but yeah, big day. Big day. And Monday Night Football tonight, Cincy uh, at Denver. Denver clinches a playoff berth with a win. If they lose tonight and they lose next week, and the Jets and Steelers both win, the Broncos can still back their way out of the playoffs here. Denver can also fall out of the playoffs if they lose both and just the Steelers win. So big, big implications this week uh, for Denver. Obviously, they'd like to get this win tonight and, and kind of seal things up so there's no drama next week. Yep, I would agree. This is an exciting game. I've still got some championships on the line, so I will be tuning in and probably sweating this one out. Oh, yeah, same here. All right, thanks for listening. That's all we got this week. Uh, As always, we are brought to you by DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOWIRE. That's R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E. When you make your deposit on DraftKings, that'll earn you a free contest entry today. Pace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. 
At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. 